Amen. You know, sometimes it's the behind the scenes drama that really makes the worship service so good for me because none of you would know that there's like a last minute cancellation of band practice was forced this week. None of you would know about um, crowns coming loose, emergency dental implants. None of you would know about one of the lead vocalists having laryngitis 18 hours ago. They just keep on trucking and lead the rest of us in worship. Amen? Man, I love our church. I love our band. Um, good morning. My name's Travis Bond. I serve as the senior pastor here. Uh, once upon a time, there were two little porcupines in the north woods of Canada. So begins Leslie Flynn's book titled Great Church Fights. Isn't that a great title? Great Church Fights. Um, so the book begins with these two little porcupines. Uh, the, you know, the, the snow is whipping. The, the wind is howling. They're in the woods, and they're trying to huddle together to keep warm. But these little porcupines, whenever they get close together, they start to prick each other with their, quill, uh, their quills, rather, and they have to you know, back away from one another. But then they start to get cold and they start to shiver again. And so they, they draw close together and they prick one another with their quills again. So they quickly separate and then they start to get cold and they start to shiver. And you guys get the point here. Um, uh, in the cold north woods of Canada, those two little porcupines need each other, but they also needle each other. All right, see, this... This thing we're a part of, this church of Jesus Christ, unless this is your first church, first day in a church, anytime, anywhere, and if that's the case, um, a particularly warm welcome to you. I'm glad you're here. But for the rest of us, um, we are well aware that uh, far from being an institution of perfect people, this is really, what is this? This is a 9 a.m. gathering of porcupines every single week. We need each other to be sure. We also needle each other to be sure. And lest you ever think that that's like a new thing, um, that the early church was this golden era of perfect people gathered perfectly together, uh, you really just have to open up your Bibles and start reading any, almost any point, and that'll quickly uh, clear up your illusion. Right now, if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Acts and chapter 15. We started Acts 15 last week. We're going to finish it this week. And if you were here last Sunday, then you um, hopefully will recall I told you that this was smack in the middle of the book. This is the toll plaza for the book of Acts, right? This is all of the traffic has to go through what's happening here in Acts chapter 15, this Jerusalem council. Very, very significant thing in the early church. That's a, that's a forever and ever event for you. The Jerusalem council, all the traffic is flowing through this, and really it's all flowing through the single toll booth. It's right around verse 11, which proclaims, we will be saved through the what? Grace. Say it like you mean it. We will be saved through the of the Lord Jesus. That was the debate at the Jerusalem council. Are we brought into relationship with God by works or by grace? Do I have to become Jewish? 
Do I have to obey Jewish law? Or do I rest by faith in Christ fulfilling the law in my place? Okay, those discussions have ended. We've worked through that portion of the council. It now affirms, the council now affirms, Jesus plus nothing equals... Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So, that's great. That's good. Now, how does that theology work itself out at street level? How can Jews and Gentiles in a racially mixed environment with completely disparate cultural backgrounds now gathered together under the single banner of Jesus Christ? How can that really happen in real time? And what does all that two millennia removed now mean for us? Acts 15, we're going to pick up the reading at verse 22. And as we do so, I remind you that this, brothers and sisters, friends, this is the very word of our Lord. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Quote, the brothers, both the gen- apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, 
so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Okay, so that's where we're at, right? By preaching the gospel, the church is now beginning to overflow. It's, it's, it's beginning to burst, honestly, with both Jews and non-Jews called Gentiles. That has caused all kinds of tension. Some of the old school Jewish now become Christian, but still very, very Jewish sensibilities from Jerusalem. They're saying, ah, Okay, yes, I think you can be a follower of Jesus, but you got to become Jewish to do it. That means food laws. That means explicit 613 Old Testament commands. That means all kinds of lifestyle changes for you. And, oh, by the way, also those of you who are men, you're going to need to have a little surgery. Circumcision. And the decision of the council then, coming out of all that, was very clear. Absolutely not. We are saved by grace, not by works. We're redeemed by the cross of Jesus, not by circumcision. It's clear. They reached one accord, it said. Wouldn't it be nice if that's where it ended? You know, the word goes out, the explanation is clear, and they all say, all right, let's just hug it out. We're good now. Of course, that's not at all what happens, because even as the church was realizing they needed each other, they continued to needle each other. The primary issue, how are we brought into relationship with God? Well, that's been answered now, but now you've got all these secondary issues like If I'm saved, what does that relationship with God mean, for instance, in the meat that I eat? And that probably requires a moment of explanation. Um, If you can, in your minds, pull up Google Earth, back up, zoom out from Jerusalem, where we've been hanging out in the Jerusalem Council, and now head north, um, just over the Syrian border, And drop your satellite view in on Antioch, where we've been before. Big, healthy, booming church. That's where Paul and Barnabas are coming from um, right now. So we're zooming in there. And I want you to really kind of zoom your satellite view into one of the pagan uh, temples there in Antioch. And, you know, keep zooming in on one of the altars at one of those pagan temples, particularly the people around the altar. Okay, you got it in your mind's eye. What are those people doing? Well, they're offering sacrifices, of course. They're offering sacrifices to false gods, which means that they take an animal or they take some meat and they lay it down in front of the altar and they do their mumbo jumbo. And then when it's all finished, well, the meat's still there, (laughs) right? Whatever a wooden idol can do, it can't chew Whatever a stone statue can accomplish, it it cannot digest anything. And so, these people worshiping at the pagan temples would now pick up their animal, they would pick up their slab of meat, and they would take it to the marketplace and they'd sell it for a profit. 
It's a pretty good system. Okay, now, enter into the grocery store this brand new Christian convert. You know, the new Christian Antiochian with their weekly shopping list. And they're walking into Shaw's there, and they're, they're saying, well, I've been doing this for a lot of years. So they're walking up to the table with all the meat, just like they always have, and they kind of shoo the flies away. And they, they say, well, I've been learning at church. I'm free in Christ. I, I don't care where this meat has been. <laughs> what I care is, is it a good slab of sirloin? And if it is, bag it up. And can I say to you, that's a totally fine view. If there's any doubt in your mind, if that's a fine view, you can read Romans 14 this afternoon. It makes it exceedingly clear. It's a fir- I mean, you just look at the piece of meat. Really, the main concern is, is it well marbled? If so, you can throw it on the Weber. You know, buy some for the men's barbecue in a few weeks. Help a little with the budget. It's a fine thing to use. The problem is that this meat that had been sacrificed to an idol was wildly offensive to Jews. And so now you've got a racially mixed church with Gentiles and Jews with widely divergent views on food and sex. Remember several years back when we had all the over organ or drum beat or go back a few years before that, you know, the, 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 the silver pretend pipes. Do we keep the pipes when we modernize the sanctuary or do we go with like an acoustic fabric up there, make it look a little bit of different? And this like... There were some passions, I understand, aroused by this. Right now, some of you, your heart rate is going up a little bit. You're remembering that. Folks, that stuff was nothing like this stuff. Racial tensions, dietary laws, sexual purity. These issues threatened to rip the church apart. Uh, several years ago, folks, museums all across America, they lined up to visit the uh, traveling exhibit from King Tut's tomb. And uh, Ali Hassan, he was the curator of the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. He was the one who discovered that some of the original jewels in Tut's tomb were not actual jewels. They were colored glass. When asked how this could go undetected for so many years, Hassan answered, we were blinded by the gold. One just assumes that real gold and real gems go hand in hand. This was a case where they don't. Here's my point. Satan mixes truth and error all the time to confuse Christians. He gets us to compromise on doctrines where we ought not budge an inch, like justification by faith or biblical inerrancy. And he gets us to divide and dig in our heels on issues where we ought to compromise, like meat, because of sin 
and stubbornness and pride, we often can't tell the real gold from the glass jewels. So even though as a church family, we know we need each other, we end up needling each other. Now, we don't fight much about meat sacrifice to idols anymore. But there's always going to be something. You know that, right? The use of alcohol, the volume of the music, financial priorities in the annual budget. How can we know what really matters? How can we tell the gold from the glass? Well, I can tell you what the apostles and elders at the Jerusalem Council said, because they wrote a letter to Antioch, and we've got it on our laps right now. Um, and can, can, by the way, can you imagine <laughs> the folks at Antioch when they got that letter, but before they opened it, what they would be thinking to themselves, <laughs> especially the guys? Ah, surgery or no surgery? Surgery or no surgery? What's it going to say? And then they open it up, and they say, ah, no surgery, we're good. What did the letter say? Well, verse 24, it says, hey, brothers, we, we know some of our people from this church in Jerusalem, we know they went up to you, we didn't ask them to, they went up to you, and they kind of stirred the pot. So there's a little bit of a mea culpa there, right? So, but we want you to know, we are unanimous on this. You don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. Here's what we're asking. Abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and abstain from sexual immorality. Period. Abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Now imagine that church in Antioch. (laughs) Okay, they're, they're, they're looking at the letter. They're like checking the back of the letter. Is there anything else here? That's it? They're thinking, I mean, we just went from 613 explicit Old Testament laws to like two. Try not to offend the Jew sitting in the pew beside you and be sexually pure. That's it? That's it? Now, how does all that, you know, the, the, the Jerusalem Council last week, the, the letter coming out of the Jerusalem Council this week, how does all of that apply at Medway Community Church 2,000 years later? What's the 21st century takeaway for this stuff? Stanley identifies three dangerous drifts that this chapter speaks to. Um, for the American church today. Uh, and I thought these were worth writing down, so I'm going to give them to you too. Three dangerous drifts battled in Acts 15. Number one, a drift toward insiders and away from outsiders. Dangerous drift toward insiders and away from outsiders. And that if you think about that for a minute, it does ring true, doesn't it? I mean, speaking as a senior pastor, I can promise you, people who don't attend here rarely call me with a complaint. People who don't attend here rarely call me 
with a complaint. We did have one lady in the neighborhood. She was a piece of work, right, Carl? But she's gone now. God bless her heart. But for the most part, is it not true that those who are invested here with their time, talent, and treasure are the ones who are going to be the most likely to raise a concern? Some helpful, some not so helpful. Either way, the problem is that over years and decades, we will, I will naturally bend over time toward the preferences and the sensibilities of those who are here. The dangerous drift is that when you do that, you unwittingly, over years and decades, begin to suffocate outreach and evangelism. Dangerous drift number two. The drift toward law and away from grace. The drift toward law and away from grace. I mean, that's the whole chapter, right? We just spent two weeks on it. It's so much easier to establish rules than to generously live out the, the, the kind of scandalous grace that Jesus displayed. The Jerusalem Council, praise God, they resisted the tendency to just label people and just write another policy. Instead, what they're exhorting here is right doctrine lived out by loving your neighbor more than you love yourself. And then dangerous drift number three, the drift toward preserving rather than advancing. The drift toward preserving and away from advancing. Some of you started your own businesses. You remember that? Or you jumped on board with a startup company? You remember those early years when you would take risks and you would work like crazy and you would do almost anything without worrying about preserving what you had because there was nothing to preserve? But now, I don't know, maybe a couple decades in, things went well and now you've got an oversized mortgage and you got kids in college and you got two, maybe three car payments and you just got stuff. And anybody who has stuff knows that when we own stuff, the stuff often begins to own us. The New Testament church had to battle this, right? Every generation does. MCC does. We got a nice facility. Praise God. I'm so thankful for air conditioning and heat and lights. We got, we got wonderful ministries. We got real, genuine relationships here. Our attendance is as high as it's ever been. Our giving is the best in our history. And Luke 12, ringing in my ears, to whom much is given, much will be required. I want to go on the record in front of you good folks and say that I don't believe for a moment that God brought us 
through all the battles over electric guitars or bylaw changes or silver pipes or color of the carpet. Literally, that was a thing here back in the 80s, apparently. God didn't bring us through any of that so that we could now be comfortable. I actually think that carpet color and worship style and all the other stuff, it's just our version of meat sacrificed to idols. We had had to learn, we're having to learn how to love one another through the little stuff so we can be prepared to do what the New Testament church did, namely, take risks. Live on mission. By God's grace, become. By God's grace, become. A um, racially and uh, economically and generationally diverse congregation that's not impacting just six or 700 people, but influencing an entire region for the cause and the mission of Christ. None of that is going to happen smoothly, I promise you. None of that will happen easily. We need each other, but we're going to needle each other. Case in point, I love how the text ends, right? Because it's authentic. It's not fairy tale. Having come through this incredible Jerusalem council, high watermark for the church, they found unity, they are of one accord, they say, and now the two pastors have a tiff. <laughs> Verse 39. They both want to go on another mission trip. Well, that's good. Can't vote against that. Barnabas wants to take Mark, and Paul's like, uh, <laughs> Mark abandoned us on the first mission trip. We're not taking him on the second mission trip. And they divide over this. It's a sharp disagreement, it says. It's a, it's a small thing, but it's a big deal. Eventually, um, happy endings are nice, right? Eventually, there is reconciliation. I want you to know that. Um, Paul even sends for Mark at the end of Paul's life to Timothy chapter 4. But the point here is, This is what real Christianity looks like. Broken people commissioned by God to carry the good news. That's what we are. Broken people commissioned by God to carry the good news. In the process, we need each other, but we needle each other. So here's a way forward. Two exhortations and I'm done. Number one, breathe grace. Breathe grace. Applying Acts 15 means if you have to err, err on the side of grace every time. Assume the best of your brother or sister. Assume the best of their intentions unless there is clear evidence to the contrary. Be slow to anger. Be quick to forgive When they hurt you, you love them the way Christ loved you. That's number one. Breathe grace. And then number two, hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. MCC is in a healthy place. We got good leaders. We got awesome volunteers. 
we're paying the light bill. But when it comes to your time and your wallet and your personal preferences, hold it loosely. Because to live on mission means it's not just about who's here already, it's about who's not here yet. Are you guys with me on that? It's not just about who's here already. It's about who's not here yet. The empty seat beside you or behind you. This table is one way that we display to one another and to the world our love for both. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.